Please note that this edition contains discussion of rape and sexual violence against women, which listeners may find upsetting. Hello and welcome to another Bunker Daily. I'm Ros Taylor. With all that's going on, you'd be forgiven for not having heard of the Covert Human Intelligence Sources Criminal Conduct Bill. It passed its third reading in the Commons, but not without opposition. Labour ordered its MPs to abstain from voting, but 34 still rebelled and voted against it. So what does the bill, better known as Spy Cops, actually do? Well, it basically seeks to clarify that undercover agents can commit crimes in the course of their duties without fear of prosecution. While that's unlikely to shock James Bond fans, they might be surprised at the scope of the new bill, which even covers HMRC and the Food Standards Agency. The Guardian has described the bill as shameful. And all this is happening during the undercover policing inquiry, which began its hearings this week. With me is Neil Findlay, a member of the Scottish Parliament and a long-standing campaigner on this issue. Hello, Neil. Hi there, how are you? So MI5 defended this bill, as they would, by saying their agents needed to be authorised to carry out what they call managed criminal activity in order to stop terrorist attacks, for example. But MI5 is not the only agency that wants these powers, is it? Well, that's right. I think there are other agencies within government who want those powers. Um, we don't see this bill coming forth before the Scottish Parliament because it's a UK reserved matter. So we're not dealing with the nuts and bolts of the bill. But if you look at the way in which it has been debated and uh, and indeed I would say lack of debate, then uh, I think it's very worrying that we're going to extend the powers of the state to into agencies that would be able to commit crime against UK citizens, and uh, and that is extremely worrying. The government has insisted that agents won't breach the Human Rights Act, and the Security Minister, James Brokenshire, said that there are upper limits of activity that could be authorised under this bill. But what exactly are these upper limits? What scope does the bill give to them? Well, the bill would allow agents to commit criminal offences. Now, you know, during the, um, the course of the debate, obviously people focused on issues around violence and potentially, you know, uh, committing crimes such as murder in the course of their activities. But I think, you know, when we look at um, what has gone on previously, and you, you mentioned the current public inquiry into the spy cops scandal, we can see some of the activities that have gone on in the name of the state by agents of the state over a long period of time that are absolutely appalling crimes that have been committed against ordinary citizens going about their peaceful business. They might be trade unionists, environmental activists, they may be animal rights activists. Some of these people have been Greenpeace activists, trade union safety reps. All of these types of people who have been victimised by undercover police officers in some of the most appalling ways. Yeah, in fact, as we speak, the undercover policing inquiry is hearing evidence from some of the people targeted by these undercover cops. And they include the family of Stephen Lawrence, for example, who was murdered in 1993. Why were that family targeted? Well, that's a very, very good question. And uh, I think, you know, maybe you should be um, asking that question at the inquiry. Maybe they could hire you to go in and ask some of these questions. But I'm sure they will be asked. But some of what went on during that period is, is extraordinary. The Lawrence family were just one of a thousand different groups who were monitored over uh, the period since the Vietnam War in the late 60s. 
that group, when you read, read the list who is on, uh, the people who are on that list of uh, groups, is quite extraordinary. You have numerous trade unions, housing campaigns, anti-war campaigns, community justice campaigns, individuals like Diane Abbott, Jeremy Corbyn, trade union leaders. It goes on and on and on. The Welsh Language Society is on it. Various small left parties. I mean, it really is um, an extraordinary number of organisations that were under the surveillance of the state. And, you know, many of the, in fact, you know, the overwhelming majority of these were peaceful organisations, not taking part in any criminal activity, but having a political viewpoint or a campaigning viewpoint that the state deemed as being worthy of surveillance. Now, there's no fascist groups on the list. There's no extreme right-wing groups on the list. This was, um, the, the, this was the left that was targeted. Tell us about some of the infamous cases that led to the undercover policing inquiry, because these were women activists whose boyfriends and partners turned out to be cops, uh, yeah. and they later found out about that. Yeah, I mean, actually, I, I get uh, it's a cross between rage and desperate sadness when I, I read some of these cases. And there's, you know, there's there's various uh, books that have exposed some of this, and I have to say, give credit to the Guardian for doing a lot of work on the the issue. But if you look at some of the things that have happened, particularly to women during this period, it is absolutely extraordinary and an outrage. So we had women who were uh, worked with uh, uh, worked in the health service in London. She was a, a drugs worker with some of the most vulnerable people in the community. She was an activist in a small left-wing party and she was befriended by... Um, an undercover police officer who came into the organisation, befriended her. She struck up a relationship. She fell in love with him and he lived with her for a number of years. And through time and through circumstances, she became aware that he was, in fact, someone else. He was not who he said he was. He was living under, with her under a false name and a false identity. And she and others who were tricked into these relationships said that they felt as though they had been raped by the state. Now, some of these women actually had children to some of these undercover officers. Now, I I cannot even begin to imagine what it feels like to sit at the breakfast table with a son or daughter looking at them, who you've brought up as your own, who you've loved and cared for, only to find out that that child is not who you think they are and the father or uh, of that child is not who you think they are. That is an absolutely extraordinary situation and hugely criminal in so many ways and the, the immorality of the state, police officers working on behalf of the state, being involved in that is just mind-blowing. And what's happened to the men who did this? Have they been disciplined? Uh, did they as it were, go back undercover and have new identities? Do we even know? <laughs> well, one of them uh, worked, went on to work as a, um, a, a senior lecturer at St Andrews University in Scotland. Others have had their identity protected and it was only thanks to one whistleblower who who, who blew the, uh, the case that all of this has come to light and they, they, their identity has been revealed by the absolutely outstanding, diligent work 
of campaigners who have put together the pieces and tracked down some of these people who were involved. And that's why we've got the spy cops inquiry just now. They would we would never have been anywhere near this had it not been for the diligence of some of the activists who who have refused to let this drop. And this went on for 40 years, didn't it? It did go on for 40 years. You know, every group that you can imagine, from the National Union of Mine Workers to construction industry, trade unions to environmental campaigns, campaigns about around McDonald's, um, you know, you name it. They're on that list and they were infiltrated by these undercover police officers. And the issue that got me involved in this was the blacklisting of construction workers. I'm a former bricklayer. I have a strong interest in the construction industry. When I was an apprentice, um, we used to hear about this event. Rumours around sort of building site huts that certain people couldn't be employed in building sites. Uh, they couldn't get a job in building sites. And that was because there was an active, an active proven conspiracy where the big construction companies had set up an organisation called the Consultant Association, which was uh, effectively a vetting organisation that looked at people, kept files on them, and decided whether they were worthy of employment or not. And this was all secret. This was all done in a covert way. And many people were um, blacklisted for long periods of time, couldn't get employment, couldn't prove why that was until there was a raid by the Information Commissioner on the Consulting Association. And the files, or many of the files, were found that would detail people who have been involved in trade union activity or health and safety reps, had been involved in political activity or environmental activity, or even were just suggested to have been involved. I mean, some of the detail in the files are absolutely amazing, where somebody's file included the words, maybe a brother of someone else. So the person was blacklisted because they suspected them of being the brother of a trade union activist. Or they would put on the files... Mr X attended a meeting at Dundee Labour Club. There's many reasons why uh, you could get into trouble attending a meeting at Dundee Labour Club, but it shouldn't shouldn't disbar you from employment for the rest of your life. And um, some of the the cases were just really uh, extraordinary. Of course, that whole issue um, came to light because of the activity of the Scottish Affairs Select Committee at Westminster, who had an inquiry into it. And then... All of that fed the, the spy cops issue because many of these people were under surveillance. So um, it's a huge network of action that the state has been taking against working people in the main. And a lot of attention has focused on the Met, but you've been campaigning about quite a lot of cases of police abuse in Scotland too. You've mentioned um, the bricklayers and uh, and. Uh, and what happened there. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about some of the other cases in Scotland? Yes, um, the situation with the, the spy cops inquiry um, is that in Scotland, uh, well, in the UK, the only people in the UK who are um, who have no access to, on the mainland of the UK, who have no access to a public inquiry are Scottish victims of the undercover police, undercover policing scandal. The UK government, I wrote to them and, and asked them to include Scotland in their inquiry. They said no because we have the Scottish Parliament and policing is devolved in Scotland, which is correct. 
I then wrote to the Scottish government and asked them to set up an independent parallel inquiry, and they refused. What they did instead was they had an invest uh, an inquiry by uh, an independent review, not a public inquiry, by Her Majesty's Inspector of Constabulary. So we had the police inspecting the police. Really, surprise, surprise! They came back and said nothing to see here, Gov. When we know, in fact, that's not true, because we have people like uh, Tilly Gifford, who was an environmental activist around the time the G8 summit was in uh, Glen Eagles, and the G8 was uh, infiltrated by an infamous uh, spy cop called Mark Kennedy, and he was in Scotland and came into contact with a number of people up here. You know, they they can tell you what his activities were during that time, but. Um, those people have no access to justice. And we there was a case taken to the court of session in Scotland to judicially review the, the, the refusal to have the inquiry. The courts came down very much in favour of the Scottish government in refusing to have that inquiry. So moving back to the, the present and the bill that's currently in the Lords at the moment, Keir Starmer dis- decided to ask Labour MPs to abstain on this, to not to vote on it. He's a former director of public prosecutions. He's a former campaigning lawyer. You must be pretty disappointed that he hasn't I, taken a stand on this issue. I was, I, I was uh, furious and I have to say my breath was somewhat taken away when I saw that. Thankfully, I think now they will be voting against it, or they, they did vote against it in the last reading of the bill when they were, I think, they, their move is to vote against when it comes back. I just find it inconceivable that anyone even remotely connected to human rights or um, any justice campaign, which he has been connected to and he has been involved in, could even for one second contemplate supporting this legislation. So let me play devil's advocate a bit, because supporters of this bill say that if it ruled out murder and torture, for example. And, and you know, it said that undercover agents must not do that in the course of whatever they're doing. The targets of these operations would be able to have a checklist that they'd use to sound out recruits and the agent would then be exposed. Is that a fair argument in your view? So we have a, you know, we have a checklist that says murder, no, torture, no, rape, okay, punching someone in the nose is fine, a minor stabbing is okay. I mean, come off it, come off it. No, I don't think that's okay at all. The state should be setting uh, high standards. The police should be setting high standards. There's huge support for you know the, the, the police and the principles of policing, and, and, and these type of activities undermine that. And many police officers who I, who I speak to are horrified by what's going on with this. And they don't support it, so um, no, I, I don't think uh, I don't think that would be accepted. I mean, nobody's saying nobody's. Let me be absolutely clear: no one is saying that undercover police uh, work is not necessary. Of course, it is. We have terrorism. We have huge issues around uh, people trafficking and drugs trafficking and violence and, and and a whole host of other issues that require sensible and appropriate undercover policing. And, you know, you've never given me saying anything other than that. But infiltrating and uh, monitoring, you know, Greenpeace or uh, 
the local housing campaign or, you know, Diane Abbott. That is not what the police should be doing. That was, that was politically motivated and directed at a certain section of the, uh, of the political system. Usually the police need authorisation from the Home Secretary for tapping phones, for example, in this country. But the point of the spy cops bill is to ensure the person leading an investigation can authorise criminal activity. Who should be giving that authorisation when it's justified? Should it be the Home Secretary? Should it be judges? Well, I think it depends. On the, I mean, obviously, the, the, um, the law would require it to be a certain individual or individuals, and that may be, it may be judges. Um, uh, but there has to, the, one, the thing about this is there has to be accountability. You know, it can't be going, done behind the scenes with a nod and a wink. And we know, you know, it's a standing joke amongst trade union activists of a certain uh, generation that, you know, they, they knew that phones were being tapped. I mean, there's a quite a, an amusing tale that Ricky Tomlinson tells about his time as uh, when he was involved with the Shrewsbury Pickets campaign and um, his colleague um, Des Warren, when he was in court, told the judge um, that he knew his phone had been tapped. He knew his phone has been tapped for years. And when the judge asked him why, he says, well, I've not paid the bill for four years and I've never been cut off. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, uh, that was, um, it's been going on for years. And of course, now people are communicating in different ways. You know, you only need to watch the TV to see how quite uh, how easy it is to intercept and monitor um, mobile telephones and also online activity. So uh, there are serious questions about the accountability for monitoring particular people in groups. Do you think the bill's going to be challenged in the courts? Time will tell. Uh, I would suspect, well, uh, let's see what the bill ends up looking like if the government you know, attempts to ram it through in its current in its current status, and well, with the current provisions, um, then I think there could be a, a significant chance of that. But I, hopefully, hopefully, um, I'm, I'm not sounding too optimistic. There will be changes to it. And we're, we've all got to wonder what it is that the Food Standards Agency wants to do with these powers. That <laughs> absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, there you go. Exactly. Uh, you know, there's the type of um, type of organisation that the government wants to extend these powers to. So you know, you might have aggressive food standards inspectors coming to assault you if you don't say the right thing about your latest batch of buns or whatever. But um, Time will tell. <laughs> Neil, that was fascinating. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, thank you very much. We'll be back tomorrow with another Bunker Daily. And if you want to help us keep podcasting, you could back us on Patreon, the crowdfunding platform. You'll get every episode ad free and you'll get our enduring gratitude too. Search Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out the details. We'll see you tomorrow. The Bunker Daily was presented by Ross Taylor. The producer was Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofronievich. And audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production.